0: From KIOS in Omaha, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and today Wes Dodge is back to give an overview of the agendas at play this year in the Nebraska State Legislature.
1: The first bills are cultural war bills. You know, they're abortion bills. The afterbirth abortion bill or whatever it is, that's murder. I mean, it it, it isn't necessary. You don't need a law for that. It's not going to pass. Everybody's fighting about the uh, secret documents that uh, Trump had and that Biden had. Okay, they're trying to find out who's a bad guy, who's a good guy, try to use it as a whataboutism thing. Why don't we sit down and write some legislation about maybe how that stuff should be handled, who should have it in their hands, where it can be, what's the protocols for that?
0: We're talking about what the implications of major bills would be, what the big fights are currently, and what you can do to influence your representative. Stay tuned for the conversation after this break. Welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. The Nebraska State Legislature is back in session. I don't know about you, but my experience most years is that occasionally I'll hear about a big fight, a bizarre bill, how people in the state government are maybe trying to influence the legislative agenda. But I don't always have a good sense of what the agenda is, you know, what the debates are, how initial proposed legislation evolves over the course of a session, or what all the implications are of what has already passed. So Wes Dodge came back to the show today to help me parse through the current state of the legislature and what we might expect this session. Here is our conversation. A lot of Nebraskans are really proud of the makeup of the state legislature, that we have a unicameral, which in theory reduces partisanship and allows us to embody a spirit of independence unlike some of these partisan states out there. How's that working out?
1: Generally, I think it's, it's going pretty well right now and there's, there, there's people involved in the legislature that uh, don't like it and want to change it. But I think uh, from the perspective of uh, the voices of the second house, which is what the rest of us are called in Nebraska, uh, it's generally going okay. It seems like there's some
0: concern, though, that partisan influence is, uh, is encroaching in a way that maybe it hasn't recently.
1: And that's true. And we uh, we're going to get into some legislation that's been proposed and a constitutional amendment or two that's been proposed, and a lot of that is directly focused on trying to tear that down. So uh, let's. I think not everyone's totally comfortable
0: uh, with – not everyone has a comfortable understanding of what the process or timeline for our legislature is. So I wonder if maybe we could start there. So I know they meet in January. For anyone who maybe is just sort of like, I understand that at some point some things get passed, but other than that doesn't really know what they
1: do. Can you give us just a little bit of an overview? Okay, so this is the attorney in me. I'm a little wonky, but I don't know this absolutely in depth. There's short sessions and long sessions. Uh, The short sessions are 60 days, which is what we're doing this year, which means 60 legislative days and the long sessions are 90 days. Uh right after uh the elections and in, in this particular case uh our legislators were sworn in on January fourth. Uh legislation was supposed to be to uh drafters, I think by the end of last week, and we'll see a couple more days of legislation drop. That's already been drafted, but but we'll be able to see what legislation is there in the next two or three days. So I don't know how a newly elected legislator does it. I, I would uh, it's like you get elected in uh, November, you try to get you know things in order and kind of clean up messes or whatever from your campaign. and then you've got you've got Christmas in there and you've got to have legislation written or ready to go. Or you know what? What am I going to do within a matter of weeks? And then these weeks, it just hits hard and fast. So,
0: like right now, then they're introducing things, and are they starting to debate them yet?
1: They're being introduced, and there uh, some things are being put in front of the committees uh, right now. There's uh, there there uh, has been some committee hearings on the rules. Uh, uh, a whole bunch of rule changes that a lot of those are intended to create some partisanship that we've we've talked about already. Um, as an example of how maybe our system works better than a bicameral system uh, is is the Speaker of the House mess that we just saw nationally, where we had to go through 15 votes and do something we haven't done since before the Civil War, I believe, at least going to that number of votes. Um, Here, they were going to offer a rule that said uh, that the votes on the speaker would have to be uh, open public votes as opposed to the way it's done right now, which is privately, you know, you, you do a secret ballot for the speaker. We've done that since, don't hold me to this exactly, but I think about 1937, right after we had a unicameral, and nobody's ever really complained about it, and all of a sudden they want it out in the open, well, nationally I think we've seen what out in the open does and then locally uh they they pushed the the vo- the vote on the rules down the line and went ahead and used the old system to to vote for our current speaker uh, Senator Arch and uh that took 5 minutes, you know, and uh, we're trying to create this system. I think I think it's where we can they they say hold people accountable but uh you know, they want to see if you're supporting your tribe or not. Right.
0: Well, so, so back when uh, – I don't know if it was George Norris or whoever specifically decided how the speaker rule should work. The philosophy behind that is you don't get in trouble for maybe voting for someone on the other team even if you would maybe believe this is the best person for this job. But I might – you know, partisan people would hold me to account if I'm not supporting somebody on my side.
1: Yeah, I don't know exactly what his thoughts are on were on that because I – I know a lot about George Norris. I admire him. hes uh, I've talked to a person who worked for a, a senator, not a Nebraska senator, but a, another senator that said he's one of the five greatest legislators of all time. Uh, and some politics have actually kept him out of this uh, uh, display they have at the Capitol with the top uh, legislators of all time. But uh, for some reason, uh, I think it was uh, uh, Senator Erdman has said he's not that big of a deal, or he, you know, when he's proposing some of these things. And it's like the Tennessee Valley Authority is kind of important. Rural electrification is important. We have a constitutional amendment because of him, and uh, he actually um, was able to—I can't remember how it was done exactly—but he stripped a lot of the power away from the Speaker of the House that existed. Uh, in the and I believe it was the just after the turn of the century, and and made the the federal government more nonpartisan than it was. Took that that just absolute power that the speaker had at the time away, and now this process here is trying to do away with that and kind of get us back into that same power system that existed back then that he fought so hard against.
0: What's the argument for more partisanship in government? <laughs>
1: uh well it's power I, I think it's power i mean i mean uh the more you look into this the more you see that uh, there should be so many things that should be so easy um you know fixing roads fixing potholes uh, uh rural um uh, access to the internet um access to health care you know raising the standard of living for everybody clean water those should be nonpartisan issues um so I, th- I think it's power. And, and if you look, there's a little bit of a diversion here, but uh, here in Nebraska, the statistics are that uh, we spent over $50 million or, or somebody spent $50 million on our last election cycle where we really didn't have an extremely competitive governor's race and $50 million was dropped you know, on the uh, congressional races and on the state legislative races. When you say somebody, do we have some suspects on that? (laughs) Well, that's the dark money issues. It's PAC money. Um, This is where our local politics is getting more national, and it'd be great if it wasn't so national. Um, People who are in non-competitive districts raise a lot of money. And then they can distribute that money through their PACs and try to elect people in other jurisdictions. I mean, who knows whose money is dropping in our congressional races here to try to win those things and give, you know, one party or the other more power. And both parties do it. But... uh, you know, that's that's another thing I don't like. And we have at least one dark money bill pending, but uh, we need to have better. Alaska's done a good job with that. They passed a constitutional uh, amendment that says nobody can drop more than $5,000 individually or through a PAC or whatever into a race. Uh, th- there are several of them, but Nebraska right now, I think we're in the lower, the bottom five as far as accountability and restriction and limits on that kind of spending.
0: If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Wes Dodge about the current debates and proposals in the Nebraska State Legislature as it begins its legislative session. What do you want to see from the legislature? What are you worried about? Join the conversation on social media or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089, which we may play in one of our upcoming shows. Let's talk about the makeup of the legislature right now. So in terms of the votes, in terms of the partisan makeup, I know there are some concerns about, is there a filibuster? You know, what can you do if maybe you're not in the majority and you don't like the partisan line? So how, how does that
1: look? Uh, I think we're right on the cusp of of uh, having, I guess, enough votes in what you would consider maybe the opposition party, the Democratic Party, to be able to filibuster certain things Um, I think 17 is what is needed to create a filibuster situation where a bill can't advance. And I think we're right there at 16 or 17. Um, Some of the the more moderate uh, senators can move back and forth and kind of change the dynamic there. But there's just enough. I mean, it's just sitting right on the cusp of uh, the ability of the minority party to try to slow things down as far as the Uh, what, whatever somebody would try to pass as far as, you know, we're just going to run this through, you know, we've got the governor, we've got, you know, if it's a Republican supported thing and there's, there, everybody's on board, it's going to pass, you know,
0: that, that creates a situation where if you're not somebody who loves the governor's agenda, there's not a whole lot of options for you, right? I mean, you're sort of in a situation where there's the ability to contact your representative, but beyond that, I mean, really, it's just sort of watching what all they can get done in the time that they have, isn't it? Like if you're someone who says, I don't support this, uh, I don't support something that's likely to pass this, uh, you know, maybe something related to like a voter ID law. Um, if you're saying like, well, I didn't, I didn't really, you know, I didn't vote for that in general. I don't really support it. Uh, you're kind of out of luck in terms of options to do anything
1: you just have to make noise you have to do what you do on the air here and what i've tried to do through some social media and contacts um i i personally well i did it through uh, omaha represent us uh wrote letters to i have a list i've i've got a list i call the white hats and uh Some of them aren't as white as I used to think they are, but uh, I sent letters to those people, and I'm really impressed. Probably five or six of them have gotten back to me directly and say I want to have a conversation about specifically uh, pro-democracy legislation and that kind of thing. So you can get their attention if you make some noise. I, um, I had somebody once that just kind of said, you know, I can't really control anything. They're not even that worried about voting. You know, they just were voting the R or the D and it's like, I just do it, whatever happens, happens. I found out if you make some noise, things can happen. I mean, it it makes them nervous. I think if you get five calls a day from some people that say, I really don't like the fact you're supporting this or you don't support that, I think it makes a big difference. Especially if they can tell it's not a canned um, postcard or a canned discussion that somebody's prepared you to make. So I, I'm trying to set up a, a situation where people can see what, what I think is good pro-democracy law and, and some safeguards and boundaries we have to put up to protect our, our unicameral and, and what I think is a more fair system and shine light on that and make people talk to their legislators and, and try to keep keep things going the way they're supposed, the way I think they should go, <laughs> which I think is the way that they, they're supposed to go.
0: Yeah, I mean, like it always makes sense that in theory, you're, uh, the people who represent you should care what the constituents want, what they, what they care about, uh, even if that doesn't necessarily align with the National Party interests. Uh, you know, I, I want to believe that. And sometimes I think with certain people, absolutely. Like I know some people who are in there and they absolutely do care. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that they all or the majority do. Um, when I was uh, years ago, I did a Senate internship and they set me up with now former Senator Ben Sass. And what I saw in there was a very, very uh, detailed way of taking all of the concerns that you heard from constituents, oversimplifying them down to the five letters that he had written that month about, here's why I disagree with you, so that those could get mailed out. And it was not really a process of caring what anyone seemed to say. Uh, And so, you know, that really soured me, you know, it's gotten me to the point where it's sort of like, I would like to be able to tell you that if you contact your representative it matters, but I'm not always so sure. Uh, So I'm glad you're optimistic. We can balance each other out.
1: Well, well, I think on the local level, when they're, they're literally, they're sending me emails and and I was, I got an email on, uh, I got an email uh, yesterday. From one of the legislators, just I was eating dinner with the family, and uh, all of a sudden, my you know my email was showed up one of those legislators' names, and it's like wow, and they were addressing specifically what I mentioned in the letter. Um, I, I had two of them to kind of uh, tell me to you know, we'll say pound sand or whatever, you know, I'm not really interested. Uh, I had somebody that said, Senator X is really not that interested in voting and democracy issues.
0: Voting and democracy issues. <laughs> that's a, and that's democracy a, yeah, that's issues. a
1: quote from the email, and I don't want to throw that person under the bus. I give I can give you the name later, but okay. I uh, did a cut and paste, and that's that's what – their probably legislative <laughs> assistant said. It's like, okay, that's a little troubling for me, but uh, but there's enough of them out there that care. It's It's close. It makes me nervous, but there's enough of them that do care about the process. And I think sometimes you can see when things go really bad, when you focus too much on your team winning and you start you start destroying the rules things can go really bad really fast sure uh and and so i'm about those guardrails i'm about those rules i'm about fair play let's let's just try to keep those things going uh this latest uh, to use the national uh you know, playing field, you know, the first stuff, uh, you know, everybody's supposed to be doing things to make things better for everybody. But the first bills are cultural war bills. You know, they're abortion bills, you know, uh, the, the afterbirth, uh, abortion bill or whatever it is, that's murder. I mean, it, it, it isn't necessary. It's, if a baby's born and it's crying and it's alive and somebody kills it, that's murder. You don't need a law for that. It's not going to pass. Uh, we've got, you know, everybody's fighting about the, um, The the, uh, secret documents that uh, Trump had and that Biden had. Okay, they're trying to find out who's a bad guy, who's a good guy, try to use it as a whataboutism thing. Mm -hmm. Why don't we sit down and write some legislation about maybe how that stuff should be handled, who should have it in their hands, where it can be, what's the protocols for that? That would be the practical way to go about well, things.
0: When it's, it's hard when your philosophy, though, is if my guy does it, it's great. And if your guy does it, it's illegal.
1: Exactly. Which is why the rules are important, which is why I think we need to focus on those kinds of things. And last time you were kind enough to have me on, it's like the world is too much WWE. They want that noise. They want that exciting thing. Uh, I guess Marjorie Taylor Greene raises as much money as anybody all the time through small donations because people love that. Which is a, a reason we've got to learn how to kind of take away the effect of, of money and outside money and money from all avenues from affecting every race.
0: So that's maybe a good place for us to jump into the dark money bill. So LB nine.
1: Tell me tell me a little bit about that. Uh this one's offered by uh Senator Blood. And um it's, it's not as good as I would like a dark money to be, but all it really does is it addresses uh, where does money come from immediately before an election. So right now there's some float time before you have to report, and they are able to find out who's getting money from where. Uh, and you get those hideous postcards in your mailbox yeah. about somebody being the devil, uh, just about the time that the, the absentee ballots or not the, the the vote by mail ballots go out that's when those start hitting your mailbox uh, but they don't really have to identify who they are until after the election is held so this particular uh, proposed legislation would say that you have to say who the donors are and let people know that in a more timely fashion. Um, and it's it's a lot of people think well there's an article in the uh, Examiner the Nebraska Examiner recently that said there was a big dump against Lindstrom, and that it appeared to be uh, financed by Ricketts, and and he said it. I mean Ricketts I think made some sort of statement that he had contributed to whatever PAC did it. So that's nice. That was out in the open. But that was the only reason why. And then. Um, a couple of elections ago, there was a bunch of Republican legislators that voted in a way that Ricketts didn't like, and all of a sudden, a whole bunch of dark money came in. And I, I don't know the exact number of legislators that got hit, but it was, I think, more than ten. And uh, most of them lost with the big money dump. And it was Republican on Republican violence. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't Democrat and Republican. It was like. Somebody's not happy with this particular Republican, so we're going to hit them hard right before the election and don't give them time to respond. Well, so so the
0: the outcome of this would be you would know that say now Senator Ricketts is uh, financing something, but it doesn't. So the the assumption there would be that that knowledge, having that out there, either causes shame, which results in some kind of shift in behavior or maybe causes people to vote differently? Or what, what would the outcome of this
1: knowledge be? I think it's just more transparency. Okay. I mean, if we don't change the laws that limit how you can do that, it would be nice to know that that Ricketts is financing this campaign uh, or uh, or that I think they could expand it. this isn't part of Blood's bill in any way. But like if somebody is a PAC, we have to know who the top donors are maybe and who's on their, their board or who's, uh, who's uh, listed as the officers, those kinds of things that, that gives us some insight into to what's going on. A lot of this dark money has common addresses and, uh, and then when you do some tracing, and I'm not a dark money expert by any means, but they, they seem to go to a lot of the same places and again, we got people from other jurisdictions influence our, influencing our elections using this system, which which I hate. And one thing I could add, you know, as far as getting things in a positive direction. Um, Alaska passed a constitutional amendment that it was the same one that gave them ranked choice voting, but it also had a great dark money component to it, which is everybody was limited to a 5000 donation to a candidate, be it a PAC or a person or whatever. You're capped at that amount. And I think you had to have a 48 hour disclosure. So that really is tight. I mean, if you have to disclose, if, uh, you know, you'd have to be disclosing the weekend before an election if a donation dumped in for like a TV. Ad buy or something like that, you'd you'd know it right away. Yeah, well, transparency. I agree that there's there's a value to that, but uh,
0: sometimes I'm not sure that it, it would impact much. Like, would you think anything would look different in Nebraska, even if we had better
1: transparency? Yeah, probably a little different. You know, we. Had, I wish I knew the exact numbers, but we had at least three races that were right on the cusp. You know, uh, gosh, didn't uh, was Dornan and Fredrickson uh, less than a hundred votes? I'm not sure. I, I think it was, and there's one in Lincoln that was on the border of a recount, and I think there was three. So maybe it maybe it switches those. Maybe enough disclosure switches those uh, one way or another. You know, there are people that pay attention to that, not as many as I would like, but but there are people that pay attention to it. And when you're at a dinner party or whatever, you can say, well, you know, you know, so and so put that money in there. You know, that's uh, that's Flynn money, or or uh, that's that's money from the uh, Omaha Education Association or whatever. You know, it just gives you a little more insight if you actually know where it's coming from. So a little bit. I mean, a, a lot of things happen in those fine margins and those like less than 5% margins, don't you think? I mean, they, they can yeah. they can tip whole races and everybody says, oh, it's a landslide. Then you go back and you look at the numbers and it's like, no, it wasn't. You, you got 1.5% more of the population to vote for you than the other side, and that's not a landslide. right.
0: As far as close races go, there's a few of these that I think would apply to either increasing numbers of people voting or decreasing numbers of people voting. So uh, another one on here is the uh, proposal LB20 to restore voting rights for felons, which would move toward more people being
1: able to vote in Nebraska. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, it's it's pretty simple. It's, it's uh, you know, when you've done your time, you get your vote back. Florida did that. It's good law. I can't think of a reason why you shouldn't be able to vote. Uh, the argument I've made with people, I I do criminal work or I have done criminal work in the past, and I know there's a lot of people that have been convicted of crimes that are pretty decent people, pretty smart people, and I can't think of why they shouldn't be able to vote. I like to use uh, Tim Allen as a, as a reference for them because he's a convicted felon for uh, running drugs back uh, when he was a teenager or whatever. So, uh, you know should he be precluded you know Santa Claus should he be precluded from voting forever because of this felony uh, i I personally would like it tweaked a little bit this makes me sound a little rougher on it but I think it'd be better if it was when you're off paper because I represented a lot of people who you know they get through most of their sentence and they they come out and they're still on probation or parole or whatever parole and then they violate it it's like you got another mess and they could be charged again I just think it'd be cleaner if you waited until they were off paper but that's just just me trying to you know look at what potentially could be a problem down the line it's it's odd because i don't I don't really see a
0: direct connection between committing a felony and your right to vote what's the link there i mean it's just
1: it's supposed to be a punishment like is anyone not committed a crime because they won't be able to vote in two years yeah i guess it makes you a less valid human being one way or another there's a legislative or a constitutional amendment proposal too i don't know if you saw that one or not i think it's uh Constitutional Amendment uh, Four by uh, Kavanaugh that said felonies shouldn't be disqualifying for you to run for office, and then the only exception she has there is uh, unless it's for treason. So that makes sense to me. It's like if I've if I've been convicted of a crime, maybe some election fraud or some treason or or something where I'm trying to manipulate the system. And I, maybe that should be disqualifying. But generally, I, I agree that uh, I think I think you're probably talking about less than one percent of the the felonies that are charged. And and, uh, you know, those people are a factor going down the line. Yeah. And I know we have there's a
0: couple other uh, of these that do apply to changes to the voting process. Right. So state uh, or having some kind of voter I.D. law did pass on the ballot measure. I know that there's going to be, have to be some kind of uh, some kind of. Specific process for what that looks like. I know there's also um, another one that's proposing video surveillance of polling places, and or co- anti-counterfeiting features on ballots. I think it's like at least three on a ballot. So, you know, it seems sort of complicated. Uh, and when we did our special on uh, uh, on the ballot measure, one of the things that we heard was that there's really not evidence of voter fraud in Nebraska. So it seems like sort of a you know again it's something where are we addressing something that is a problem or is it the culture war noise to get sort of
1: brownie points for a thing that's easily politicized? It's it's a I think it's a deliberate attempt to limit voters <laughs> to limit people who can vote. Um, you know, they, they study, everybody studies the numbers. They know if, if we get more voters or if we get less voters, how are things going to turn out? You know, there's people who are experts at that and they really do a good job of it. So I think it's what the intent is. And we do have a bunch of different bills. Some of them are good. Some of them are not the one, the one you referenced, uh, uh, regarding, uh, um, the surveillance and all that. I just can't imagine, you know, uh, are we going to have a camera directly over us when we're marking our ballot? And and I think the same uh, senator that offered that actually wants to do away with mail-in voting completely. Uh, the good thing is he wants to make it a uh, a holiday, that the primaries and the general election would be a holiday so everybody could vote. Uh, but you you have to do it at the polling place. Uh, there is one exception. I just thought of uh, nursing home people and military people are allowed to vote by mail according to his his uh, bill. But uh, you know, is is the camera going to be directly over you? Or are they going to see who you're voting for? Um, you know, those kinds of things seem to those are problematic for me. Um, gosh, the uh, I, I think the same the same senator actually has one where all the voting machines have to have parts that are made in the United States. Uh, I, I I shudder to think as we look around our studio here how many parts that we're using right now are not made in the United States, and I don't know. And
0: the parts people are listening to this on. Y-
1: yeah, exactly. So I don't I don't know how that's going to work. Uh, vote by mail has never been proved to be bad anywhere. Uh, I think that one does away with vote by mail, and the person who offered it has at least one county in his district. That is entirely vote by mail. There's 11 in the whole state. And and we're making it more difficult. In those cases, we're making it difficult on people who might have to drive 40 or 50 miles, you know, potentially on dirt roads in the first week of November to vote on that one singular day that you're allowed to vote. Yeah. Um, I. I am, I am a nerd with this stuff and I love, I love voting by mail. I love to, it takes me a while to really cast my ballot. I mean, I think I spend like an hour and a half, two hours on my ballot sometimes because it's, like, who is this and what is this bill and, or, you know, uh, constitutional amendment or whatever.
0: I read I up stuck on, on the judges. I'm always like, hmm. I, don't know, I don't know who's good. I'll ask, you know, like Matthew
1: Wersner and he said, this guy was mean to me once. Don't vote for him. Give, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> Most of them, for what it's worth in Douglas County or, and Sarpy County, are really good right now.
0: I'm talking to the West Dodge about the current debates and proposals in the Nebraska state legislature as it begins its legislative session. Let us know what you think. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Stay tuned for the rest of the conversation after this break. We have a lot of hours of content here on Riverside Chats now. Our backlog has over 100 episodes. We're expanding into live events. And we have an exciting future for the show that we hope to be able to get to you. To make the show as good as it can be and to continue to give you the kinds of conversations that you listen for, the reason why you subscribed in the first place, to hear coverage of arts, ideas, politics, whatever it is that brings you here every time, please consider becoming a supporter of the show by making a sustaining monthly donation of $1, $5, whatever you can afford and really whatever you think the show is worth, which maybe is zero, in which case, ouch. Ouch. But okay, if you are interested in becoming a supporter, please look in the podcast notes. There should be a link in there that you can find that gives you all the information you need. Otherwise, thank you for considering supporting the show, and more more importantly, thank you for listening. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. You can check out the backlog of Riverside Chats episodes wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe on your favorite app, and while you're there, we'd love it if you'd leave us a review. Wes Dodge is back on the show today to help me parse through the current debates and proposals in the Nebraska state legislature, what we might expect to pass this session, as well as how you can get involved. Here is the rest of our conversation. Part of being an informed voter, part of being uh, a healthy part of a democracy is to care about what's all on that ballot. And yeah, it's a complicated ballot. And we even talked about, you know, when, when a ballot initiative comes out, half the time you have to spend 20 minutes just on the syntax, trying to parse out what's this even saying. And maybe you do have to ask somebody like, I, you know, I, the, the, the plane one, the airport one. I, you know, I still don't really know what I voted for or against. I can't even remember. So the, the effort to potentially make it a harder to vote and b to make sure that fewer people are voting is something where I, I get stuck because we like to talk in this romanticized place that, you know, people for the most part believe in democracy here. They, mo- they, do, they do want more people to vote. They do want to win the, the voters who are persuadable. And it seems like you kind of have uh there's some people who want there to be a, a bigger democracy and others who say no the smaller it is the more it helps me. And that's that's a troubling uh sort of it's a troubling view for the majority party to seem to have in Nebraska. Uh and I don't know I don't know how you really combat that when that becomes sort of normalized and popular.
1: We are proud of our Midwestern values and one of those is fairness, I think that we think we all should have an equal shot, or we should all play by the same rules. So I think if you if you use people's concepts of what Midwest morality is, which is hopefully fairness, that everybody should be treated somewhat the same. Uh, now, I know some people say that, and they don't believe it. Yeah, that's more of what I'm concerned
0: about, is uh, the fake Midwestern nice. Yeah,
1: yeah. And you know what? I've been around the country, too, and everywhere you go, they think, You know, whatever it is, it might be Maine nice, or it might be you know uh, New York straight talking, or whatever. It's uh, everybody says that they're, you know, intellectually capable of all that, but uh, we're easily. I get frustrated because I see how easily manipulated we are, and that drives me crazy. Um, And and when you try to when you try to address that, people feel like you're being condescending, you know. So it's like you have to you have to come up with a way to have that discussion with people to just say you know let's look at three different sources or something before you reach some sort of conclusion or maybe when you're talking about something medical somebody that that has a, a medical degree would be better to talk to than an maa fighter you know what i mean <laughs> I'd, I'd hope that that kind of uh, <laughs> although they at... make more money on their podcasts right
0: <laughs> yeah oh yeah well as far as medical stuff goes i know there is one um let me get the number here LB 421 would remove the authority of local health departments to issue health measures, which I imagine is a response to uh, Omaha and Lincoln's attempt to tackle COVID, to to restrict the amount of COVID that was getting transmitted. And then there's another one, LB 422, which according to the World Herald would, quote, protect doctors from professional disciplinary action for expressing opinions or medical advice that disagrees with the general medical consensus. Which seems like kind of a can of worms. I don't totally know how to interpret that. My my scary knee jerk was that that means if, if a doctor says, "Hey, I, I hear if you drink bleach, that'll be good for your COVID symptoms," uh, you know, it's like, "Oh, well, I guess that's fine." You know, that, that would that would hurt somebody, so it's probably mm-hmm. not a good example. But I don't know. I don't know what that one means. I don't know where that one, uh, who
1: that's supposed to be helping, or I think you got a big First Amendment issue there too, don't you? As far as who can control what you say or... And what's
0: the consensus? How is that determined? I don't know. There's a lot of those ones where I guess what I'm getting at is it seems to be rooted in the culture war noise and an attempt to sort of nationalize even what gets passed here because it's sort of like we're taking something right from national headlines and we're going to write a Nebraska bill that addresses this national problem that I'm not sure is an issue in Nebraska.
1: I think we've got the... uh... Can't wear a dress and be a male while you read a kid's story. Isn't there yes a bill addressing that? Yeah, so
0: one yeah ones where you know somebody could not play uh, a character of of a different gender,
1: right? Yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire would be illegal,
0: and and it's just like you know what are we doing here? Yeah, it's uh it's theater that we're, you know it all becomes sort of theater because it's divorced from the actual impact that it has on people too because it's just sort of the brownie points of here's what I care about. And we're going to pass something to show what I care about, but not really think too much about how it's implemented or what the, uh, you know, the, the, the conflicts uh, or what, what the, uh, what the consequences would be. Right. Right. Okay. So let's go to another. What's, what's another one that's bothering you? Oh, okay. You you can pick the next one.
1: All right. Um, Well, this, this one's really kind of quirky, but I think it just opens up a lot of doors. And I, I think there's people that, that listen, that are interested in in money and how the same people that say we don't want to spend money seem to come up with other ways to spend it. Um, I, I I saw one of uh, I was reading something about a slama bill that insisted that all roads be paved um, in rural areas. And and I'm kind of stretching it, you know, I'm I'm just reaching back there, but it's, as I read that, I thought that's a lot of money for somebody that maybe you know, maybe only you got five or six people that are, that are transversing those roads so but the one i i think is interesting is is wayne has one at lb21 which just changes uh, elections and cities of the metropolitan class so he's trying to expand the number of the state has a control of the way cities can do things so he's trying to expand the number of city council members we have in omaha which maybe makes sense because we've had seven for ever since i can remember and adding two seems to make sense because we're a larger city now you know we've you know elkhorn itself i don't know how much that would add but you would think that would justify almost a city council member right there but i was also involved with the the, the city charter meetings where they were having discussions of those other boring things that you saw on the ballot that were recommended <clears throat> and i did it because i was supporting ranked choice voting and i wanted them to uh Address the fact that maybe it would be good for the city if we used ranked choice voting. But as part of that process, the mayor came in and testified and other people talked about some things we're doing. And we have our city elections at different times than we have our state elections. Cost costs a half a million dollars to have an election. Why can't we add city council members to those two uh, election cycles and save save the city a half a million dollars each time instead of having two other elections. Um, and there's other there's other aspects of that with the city as well that I just think there, there's some common sense people saying some common sense things and people don't want to do it. And I think you could extrapolate a lot of things into Wayne's uh, uh, bill there that would make the city of Omaha more efficient anyway, as far as the way it does its money and maybe having a more effective uh, governing body that is more representative of of more people because we would we would uh, give our votes a little more power because with two more representatives you know we're not spreading the number of votes out over seven and there's pushback against this Uh, i haven't heard anything about it i just looked at that and i thought that's a pretty good bill uh it's got a lot of common sense things which isn't the exciting you know Who's wearing a dress and who's sure. not wearing yeah. a dress type of stuff, but it, it's it's real practical things that that save money and and maybe make for a more effective representative democracy, and and so I liked that. Um, not a lot of in-depth discussion about that necessarily. Oh, the uh, the uh, there's a whole bunch of things surrounding the. Um, the constitutional amendment about voter ID, mm-hmm. and uh, within Common Cause, we even had a little argument amongst us uh, where some people are saying, "I just hate that law. It, I, I think it's it it's it just is against our concepts of people having access to the ballot. It's another hurdle, that kind of thing." Mm-hmm. And you know, I took the other position, which wasn't as popular as I thought it would be, but I, it's it's passed. You know, it's the law. It's going to happen if we just sit and say, okay, here we are. we got to deal with it. I don't think we're helping as many people. So what we have to do is how are we going to deal with this voter ID? Yeah. We have to make sure everybody has a voter ID. Uh, the Secretary of State testified if, if this passes, I will go to people's houses and make sure they have voter ID. Uh, Megan Hunt has passed some – or uh, proposed some bills. I don't remember which ones. Uh, and Kavanaugh has done one too. I think Hunt might have done a um, a constitutional amendment and Kavanaugh uh, possibly a, a proposed bill. But it's just like the fees are waived for IDs that we, we need to use. Yeah, so, I've wondered about that because I – so I've moved since I got my driver's license. Mm-hmm.
0: So my driver's license has a different address than where I currently live. So my understanding is I would not be able to vote.
1: Uh, that that's wrong from what I've heard. Okay, um, as long as they can see at your face and your driver's license is valid at this time. In fact, you can even use expired ones if it's oh, really? a state okay. ID. Now, we nothing's passed yet, <laughs> but this is what they're doing in other places. Okay, um, and and so no, that's a little bit of a, a stretch, but I just. I'm, I'm fearful of what it could do to the vote by mail thing uh, because uh, there's, a, there's another a bill that says now you have to use all these things to make sure – I guess you'd have to go back in and like double check with your voter registration to show that you've got a valid ID. I don't know how you do that retroactively.
0: Yeah. Well, um, so maybe we could walk through that because I've been curious about it as well. So if I want to vote by mail and I have to show a valid ID, do I have to go to the election commission – To show an ID before I can get my ballot, or how how do they how do they check that in other states?
1: And that that hasn't well in other states I don't know for sure because they all do it a little bit differently, and some of them are very restrictive. And then then you have things that are a little out, you know, like in Texas you can use your your ID that that allows you to carry a gun, but you can't use a student ID. You know what I mean? So it's like, what's going on there? Uh, Here, uh, we're going to fight for as an expansive of a list as we can come up with. We're going to say that we have to do something that gets people out to anybody who, who is qualified to vote and give them the opportunity to get an ID. And, you know, that it's a poll tax if you don't. That's the argument. If, if, if I have to pay money to get this document to allow me to vote and that's the only way I can vote, that's a poll tax.
0: If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Wes Dodge about the current debates and proposals in the Nebraska state legislature as it begins its legislative session. What do you want to see from the legislature? What are you worried about? What are you excited about? Join the conversation on social media or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089, which we may play in an upcoming show. Do you think it deters the people who support this if you say it's a poll tax? Or does that bother them because of the connotations of poll tax? Or do they say, yeah, no, that's that's kind of what I was going
1: for? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know, but it's it's been litigated through history, and that's it's unconstitutional. So I guess I don't want to say I don't care what they think. I mean, sometimes people just don't think good democratic thoughts, and that's where they're at. Right. Well, because <laughs> – Uh, What a
0: poll tax fundamentally is, is hoops that people have to jump through. And not everyone's able to get through the certain hoops. The more of them they are, the more complicated it is to get through them, right? So, like, in theory, if if it takes time and money to get your ID, not everyone has time and money, right? Right. Or at least it's difficult and you don't know what's going to happen, so on and so forth. So, like... Even if we're saying it's not literally the exact same thing as a poll tax, if we take money out of the equation, it still is another hoop to jump through before you can vote oh, yeah. to solve a problem oh, yeah. that
1: doesn't exist. Yeah, no doubt. And, and one of the people that was in one of the, the meetings I was in where we were talking to a whole coalition of people trying to deal with this issue uh, had some connections up in, I think, I can't remember if it was North or South Dakota, but they have something there that they just call a sworn statement. So if you walk in and they tell you uh, your ID isn't good or we're not going to let you vote or whatever, uh, but we can give you a provisional ballot and you'll, you'll sign this sworn statement that says, you know, I'm of the age to vote, I'm legal, you know, I'm not whatever, you know, whatever a disqualifier would be, and you sign the statement, your ballot still doesn't count, but you have like 10 days or, or 14 days or something to cure your ballot by, by coming up with a, a valid ID or presenting it to someone or, or something like that. And I don't know how much uh, you would know about necessarily what went on with Georgia. And I think it happened in Colorado, too. But a lot of those uh, jurisdictions have the ability to cure your ballot And I I guess they nowadays they can identify a ballot that wasn't counted here in Douglas County. We can, we you can get online and find out if your votes, if your mail-in ballot is sitting there and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So if it doesn't show up, uh, those those jurisdictions have time to cure the ballots. So I think it would fit into that same category. I think that would be a great safety net. You know, we got what we got. You know, so we, we got to deal with it. So it's like, what are the most ways that we can come up to cure it? And you talked about, you know, this is a, you know, a solution looking for a problem kind of thing is, and there is no real actual history of anybody ever doing this in the history of our state. There's, there's two kind of iffy ones in Lexington, like 20 or 30 years ago, but we don't have a history there, and we're trying to fix a problem that didn't exist. But a majority of the people voted for it. That's democracy. we got to deal with it, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah. And we still got to make the vote available to everybody that should have it.
0: Well, and so one of the ways to do that uh, would be LB365 from Megan Hunt to expand vote by mail to all counties, right? Yes. How big of a change
1: would that be from the way it currently operates? That would be a huge change. And, uh, again, you want to talk money. Uh, Nebraskans like to talk about saving money, right? The, the, the tax system is unfair on property, et cetera, but we can save a heck of a lot of money. Uh, I, I Colorado does it. Oregon does it. Uh, there, there's a lot of places that are using vote-by-mail, and, and it's almost exclusive, Um I don't know the exact numbers. I wish I did, but I've, I've heard things like now they only need like twenty percent of the polling places that they they still leave a lot of those places still have the option that you can vote in person if you choose to, but they're able to reduce the polling places down to like one fifth or less. Uh, that they, they'll say things like, uh, you know, every county has to have an available place to vote if uh, if you for some reason you can't do your vote by mail. Uh, poll watchers, poll workers. Uh, all the people that have to move all the stuff every election day, all of that goes we'd away. To, we'd have to buy so many fewer uh, cameras, surveillance <laughs> yeah, cameras. Yeah, yeah, well, you would have, yeah, I, I, I drop I drop mine, but uh, so I just, uh, I always look around for the camera wondering where it is, not because I'm worried, but it's like, I wonder if there's a camera here.
0: Well, so, okay, as, as we get sort of close to the end of our time, what are some of the other big concerns that you have that you want to make sure that my listeners know about?
1: Okay. Or well, ones that they should support. Well, well, one thing I would really like is the thing we started with. I would like you to call your legislator and say, when we have that rules argument about how we elect our speaker, let's keep that. Let's keep that private. Uh, we've all worked in organizations or whatever where you, you have to interact with the people on a daily basis. Let, let's make it real benign, you know. Like there's a company party and three people are fighting over who gets to to run it and it's like uh, should we have a secret ballot and decide who gets to run it or should we all raise our hands and say i, I want peggy to run it instead of joanne you, you know what i mean that's what's going on here and so if we keep it secret those people can still interact with each other after the the ballot and not and not be bitter now erdman i'm, I'm going to paraphrase here But so he has, he's really pushing for this rule to make it public because he says it's about transparency. I want to know when people say they're going to vote one way, when they vote, they're going to vote that way. And the the rules hearing they had the other day started at like 1.30 and it ended at 10.30. It was painful. And, but towards the end of it, there was another rule that came up and it was like in committee hearings, um, and legislator, uh, yeah, committee meetings and legislative meetings with the committees. Uh, it was a it was a rule change that said the press shouldn't have access to that, and uh, and uh, that they can better discuss what they're going to do, and they don't have to have their votes on whether or not a bill comes out of a committee made public. You want to guess who offered that rule?
0: You tell me. Go ahead. Yeah, Erdman. Yeah, the
1: same person. Yeah. You know, so uh, you know it's it's just. Hypocrisy alert, you know, here, here well, we, it's it's what we, we've been talking it about is I'm, I'm curious. There's something interesting about the fact that the, the idea here would
0: be that actually less transparency leads to more healthy democracy in the case of this
1: vote isn't that sort of your argument here yeah yeah and 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 i've been wrestling with that cuz i'm all about transparency i really am and i've been wrestling with that and it's kind of the analogy i gave you you got you got personalities you got to work with people but it's not about policy and it's not about real law. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I think it's important that a person knows where I stand in regard to a specific issue that we're going to make into law, or specifically where I am in regard to policy regarding tax, or maybe building prisons, or any number of other things that people are involved with. But how is important is it that I want John to be the speaker instead of Louise? You well, know, important is sort of subjective, right? Sure. I mean, you but but why is it the only reason it's important is because I want to know if you voted for my guy or not, and I want to be able to, somebody with the dark money sit there and goes, you know what they didn't support the team, they didn't they didn't support yeah. they didn't support the tribe, we're gonna take them down, you but know, if, we got to have a team player in there.
0: If you extend that logic to the legislature in general, if we're saying that a lot of what's being proposed is also sort of the same, just I'm on your team. Here's me showing how much I'm on your team wouldn't that suggest that in theory, if you took away the transparency of how anyone's voting on any of these bills, these resolutions, they might be less likely to go for the big culture war noise and more likely to actually have to deal with issues. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I like that <laughs> as a concept, but it's the same logic. Isn't yeah, no,
1: it? yeah. It would be the same logic, but I just think it's more, I think it's more important when you're actually talking about the law. I mean, if, if I, wherever I'm at on the abortion issue, I want to know what my legislator, did in regard to that issue did they i mean that's who i'm voting for did they support me my position or did they support the position i'm not for but whether or not they voted for somebody to be the head of a committee or the the speaker of the legislature to me doesn't reach to that same place to me that's not about the the finer points of of what we're doing
0: sure well we are running up against the clock so i do want to know before we before i let you go for people who want to be updated on whatever's happening, whatever's changing as things get to debates, or they just want to maybe know what to support what not support, how to contact people, any of that stuff, how do you do that? What's a good way to be an educated
1: voter here? I'm, I'm hoping we come up with better ways, but there's some good places to go. Um, Rank the Vote Nebraska. I want to put in a plug for them just because we're trying to make a better system. And right now we don't even have anybody offering that bill, even though Alaska's passed it and it's spreading across the nation. Um, But uh, you can also uh, look up, represent us, Omaha, and see what we put there. Uh, Common Cause Nebraska. Civic Nebraska has some good things out there. You know, Google those and you can come up with what people are doing. I wish it was a friendlier site, but you can go straight to the legislature site and you can find the bills, but it's really hard to find them. You have, yeah. to, you have to sit and you have to look through all the bills and find out what matters to you. And
0: it's kind of a dense process, too, to do that digging. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. I was trying to do it to get ready for this. And I mean, I think there's going to be another like four to six hundred bills that are supposed to drop in the next couple of days. So our discussion, I hope, I don't think it'll be outdated because I think it'll be a rerun of some of the stuff we've already talked about, but that's just constantly moving. So I think you have to, I'm hoping that, that us as individuals and us, you know, it doesn't matter which side you're on. I'm, I'm on the pro-democracy side, which I think isn't necessarily Republican or Democrat or, or whatever. Um, I think if you can try to find some sources and some people that can network together to tell you what's going on, um, you know, that that's important. And people should probably know who their senator is. Oh, definitely, yes. How to contact the senator, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, my senator, I, I got a hold of him and, and was addressing some specific things, and that was one of the notes I got back that said, pound sand, you know. It was like, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not really interested in anything you're talking about right now. So uh, th- th- that's a good thing about what we're doing here, though, because we can find the, the senator's, that will help us out. And I kind of argue with, I don't argue with them. I say, you don't represent just my district. You represent the state of Nebraska. You represent all of us. So please really look at this. And this is why I think it's important. And I put little blibs out on, you know, tweets with represent us or, or uh, try to, to, to put some things out on Instagram with a, an aid I have and that kind of thing that says, these are the five senators that you need to contact. Here's the link where you can find your senator contact them about this particular e- issue social media can really work good in that way it does a lot of bad things and i'm starting to feel like it does more bad things than good things but that is one of the good things it can kind of get people you know it's kind of the arab spring thing it can unite people to to try to do something good and Hopefully, that's what we're trying to do here. I appreciate you trying to unite
0: people for good, even using social media for good, yeah. uh, for helping talk through some of this stuff with me, because it's not always easy for me to know what's going on, what these bills mean, what are the implications. So thanks so much for being here uh, and for updating us. We'll have to have you back on again when there's been some new updates.
1: Okay. I love it. I've, any opportunity I can get to speak about these things, I'm I'm all for it.
0: Riverside Chats is a production of KIOS 91.5 FM, Omaha Public Radio. The show is produced and edited by Courtney Bierman. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos, and our artwork is done by Ben Matukowicz. Remember, you can find the backlog of all of these conversations wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe today, and please leave us a review. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Tom Noblock.